The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. Hey Amen. What wonderful singing that is. Please take your Bible and turn to the New Testament book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 3. Man, that is a marvelous song. I'm not sure what all the songs will sound like when we get to heaven and we're able to sing maybe with the angel chorus and sing to the Lord, but if we take requests, I hope we're able to request that song. The Lord is good and magnificent and wonderful. We should behold our King. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 3. Wonderful first Sunday of Advent together. And now that you all are comfortable and seated and ready to go, I'm going to ask that you'd stand one more time for the reading of the Word of the Living God. It is inerrant and infallible and inspired. It is the very breath of the Living God of Heaven. With all of us standing, let's read together. I'll read out loud for us. If you'll read along silently, verse number 11 to verse number 13 in this Advent reading of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Verse number 11 reads this way. Now may our God and Father Himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you, so that He may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of His saints. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we come to you now at this time and thank you for the Bible study hour before where we can fellowship with one another, study the Bible in depthly, Lord, and share prayer requests upon our heart. We thank you for this worship, this corporate worship time together where we can sing and give and pray and break open the Word of God and be blessed by it. And so, Lord, we pray that you would bless the reading of your word, that you would challenge our hearts to be more conformed to Jesus Christ. We pray that Christ would be high and lifted up, and we will love you and thank you for all that you do this day. For it is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This is, of course, the first Sunday of Advent. We have these four Sundays leading up until Christmas. And let me just take a sidebar moment here to explain. The word Advent comes from an old Latin phrase, and it means coming. And so when we think about the Advent, we think about uh, Christ coming and two comings. So His first Advent was when the Lord Jesus came into the world, born of the Virgin Mary, uh, lived a perfect and a sinless life. And so we think about the Incarnation, His birth as being the first Advent, the first coming of the Lord Jesus. And then we think about the second coming of the Lord or the second advent when Jesus Christ will come again one day. He will not come again that time as the babe in the manger, but he will come as the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he will judge all that is evil in the world and he will establish all that is righteous in the world and his kingdom will reign eternally. Amen. 
Glory to God for his coming. Now, on this first Sunday of Advent, it's interesting that all of the texts every year on the first Sunday of Advent, you always begin celebrating the first Advent, the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in the manger by looking at the second Advent. And I think there's no more appropriate time in our society given in our day how people are so busy and so caught up in this season and so going and never stopping that instead of thinking about gifts and the first coming on this first Sunday, we are to think about the day when the Lord Jesus Christ shall come again. And so I was thinking this week just a little bit about getting ready and preparing for Christmas. And of course, some of you were here yesterday. We, you can see the wreaths are up and the church has been decorated. And part of the way that we get ready for Christmas is by decorating. And then, of course, last week, I like to... Uh, listen to Golik and Wingo in the morning. If you don't know who that is, it's a sports talk radio show. And uh, as I was listening to them, they spent about 15 minutes of meaningless banter and argument about when it's permissible to put up Christmas decorations. And, you know, I've noticed that whole argument going on Facebook, my Twitter account, it's on television. Are you allowed to put up Christmas decorations before Thanksgiving or do you have to wait till after Thanksgiving? Are you allowed to listen to Christmas music in the month of October? If you're Jamie, you listen to Christmas music in the month of June, right? Getting ready for our Christmas musical next Sunday. But we think about getting ready, and you know, many of us in here, we love this season, we love Christmas, we love the coming of the Lord, and uh, we think about His birth and His life, and for many of us, that draws great memories for us, and we think about celebrating the birth of the Lord, and how do we prepare, how, how do we decorate, and, and uh, what goes up, and what happens, and what traditions do we have, but I would say to us today that we need to be ready for the Lord to come again. Again. And if we prepare our hearts to be ready for his second coming, then we will live our lives in light of his first coming. In fact, from the text today, I think it speaks here of the second coming of the Lord. And here's the main idea. If you leave here today, just take this. If our hearts are ready for his second coming, we will live holy lives in light of his first coming in the manger. Now, in the context of chapter number three, you would find that Paul's great love for the church here and he sends Timothy to check on them and he rejoices in this chapter earlier on at the great report that Timothy gives him concerning this church of their faithful lives, of their love for the Lord. And then in his rejoicing, as he comes to the end of this chapter, he prays for the church. Notice the repetition in verse 11, 12, and 13 of this. Now may, verse number 12, and may, and verse number 13, so that he may. And even if you have a translation this morning that may not have that little marker in there, you can certainly tell that this is a prayer for the church. And so I would say that we too today at Emmanuel Baptist Church are waiting for the coming of Christ. As we celebrate the first advent, as we look toward Christ and his coming in the manger, as we celebrate Christmas, we ought to have our minds and our hearts and our souls looking toward the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and that we ought to be preparing and ready for Jesus 
to come at any moment and in so much as we are prepared for Jesus to come, we will live right and holy lives in the light of His first coming. So this text teaches us a few things. Here's the first one from verse number 11. How do we prepare for the coming of the Lord? We prepare by praying for divine direction in our lives every day. The believers of this church should not necessarily be looking all the way to Christmas gifts and all of this kind of thing yet, but we should be looking and praying for divine direction. God's power and provision and His direction in our everyday lives. Look back at verse number 11. He says, Now may our God and Father Himself and Jesus our Lord direct or guide our way to you. First of all, let me uh, say a few things from verse number 11. Notice there that He says, uh, may our God and Father, right? We want to think of our Father and God together. May our God and Father and Jesus our Lord. This is both teaching that they are two distinct entities. We have our God and Father and we have the Son, Jesus Christ. And yet, you would find that the verb in verse number 11 to direct is in the singular notion. And so, it brings together both the difference between the Father and the Son and yet the unity of both of them working together on our part. And they bring direction to us. They guide us in the everyday issues of life. Let me say this. If you were to back up to uh, chapter number 2 and verse number 18 of this same book, you would see that he prays here and that for God to defeat Satan and accomplish his work. You see, Paul was going to go to Thessalonica, but Satan was impeding the route to get there. And I would say to you today, you may be smart and you may have a college education and you may even feel that you live in the 21st century and that's Satan kind of thing and the powers of darkness and demons. That, that's an old school thing. That's a first century thing. That's, that's something way in the past. But I want you to understand that the devil, Satan himself, is alive and well and he is fighting the powers of goodness and Christ himself every day of our lives, both on a national and an international scene and in the life of your family and in your individual life. Satan is at work trying to get you to move away from Jesus, to leave Him alone, to not walk in a holy life. He is battling in your own soul and you're using your own lusts and your desires to turn you in upon yourself, to bend you more toward yourself instead of toward like Christ. He is seeking to destroy your relationships. He's seeking to destroy this church. Do you know something today, church? I want you to wake up and listen. Satan does not want our church to live for Jesus Christ. And He is doing everything within His power to stop us from living for the Lord. And we need to seek divine direction in our life so that we are praying for God to defeat Satan. Can I ask you a question? In the last seven days, have you prayed one time and said, Lord, I know that the powers of darkness and Satan is real in my life, in my family, and in my church. And I pray right now that you bind him. 
I pray that you put a hedge of protection about all the believers that I know. I pray that you would let no source of bitterness and resentment and frustration creep in into any area. Lord, do not give the devil a stronghold anywhere in the life of my own life, my family, or my church. Did you pray like that in the last seven days? When the disciples asked Jesus, how should we pray? Jesus said, this is a way to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from all evil. Can I ask you something? Is that too simple of a prayer for you? Have you moved beyond what Jesus said to do? We need to pray in this season as we prepare for the coming of Jesus, both His second coming and as we live in the light of His first coming. We need to be the kind of believers that are really praying for God to put down the work of Satan in our lives, in our families, in our relationships. Can I tell you something? Hear me just clearly this morning. Not only is this a wonderful season for many of us in this room, not only, in fact, I, in my new family, I was speaking Wednesday night to people at dinner, and I'm asking for traditions. I want our family to have some traditions, and there's some sentimentality that goes on with that, and I'm excited about all of this season, but I want you to know something. This season also brings a lot of hurt and a lot of pain and a lot of depression and a lot of frustration to many people in this room. And don't think for a moment that the devil won't take that and cut you in the heart and drive you farther from Jesus, farther from your spouse, farther from this church. You see, the way that we prepare is by praying for divine direction. What did Paul say? Hey, direct our path to come to you. Not only that, but I would say this. Pray, may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ Jesus. If you were to turn one book over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse number 5, you would find this same phrase, direct our path, guide our path. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 5, he says this, May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. Brothers and sisters, that's exactly what Jesus said when He was challenged there. What is the first and greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. Hey, the Bible says that we, may, that we should pray that we may be able to stand against the wiles. That's an old English way of saying the power of the devil. Pray that we may be able to stand in Jesus Christ. Pray for your own life that you may grow in the love of God and in the steadfastness of Jesus Christ. The world is against us. Our flesh is against us. And the devil is against us. And we need to pray for divine direction in our life that we may grow in the love of God and that we may be steady and steadfast in Christ Jesus. 
What about Luke chapter number 1, verse number 79? Great Christmas text. This same phrase that Paul uses here to direct our paths, this is the other time that it is used in the New Testament. And the Bible says that when the day spring from on high shines, it says this, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Brothers and sisters, I would say to Emmanuel Baptist Church, as we get ready for Christmas, as we love this time of year, let us prepare for the second coming of Jesus because it's one thing to have gifts under the tree, but if our neighbors and if our friends that don't know Christ die without Him, they spend an eternity in a Christless world. Jesus is coming again. What if Jesus comes before the 25th this year? Do you have friends and neighbors and loved ones and family members? Are you praying for God to direct your life into their life through a card, through a conversation, through a phone call, through a lunch conversation? Are you praying for next week's musical to invite lost people to come? Are you praying that God would direct you into somebody's life that needs Jesus for all of their heart, that the day spring from on high would shine into their unbelieving life and guide them to the place of peace, to the place of Jesus Christ, to the foot of the cross? There are so many people around us who are hurting and sick and in need of Jesus Christ, we must be the kind of people, if we're going to be prepared for the coming of the Lord, that we are praying for God to direct our paths both in holiness and to the lost world around us. This week I went to visit with uh, Kathy and Robert Rogers at their house and uh, and then, of course, you know, many of you, I asked her permission if I could use this as an illustration, and she said that that would be fine. But as I was talking to them, of course, you know, she had uh, brain surgery several weeks ago, and she's recovering. But uh, just um, within that first week of surgery, she had some uh, episodes of some seizures. And one night, they had to take her all the way over to Big Duke. That's what we call it around here. They had to drive all the way over there late at night, and she had just massive headaches and just all kinds of pain and they're there in the emergency room together and they don't know what's going on and they're trying to find the solutions and doctors are coming in and out and they are in horrific pain and frustration and uncertainty and chaos and they told me that in comes a man in the middle of the night and his job is to get payment from everybody. Now wouldn't you like to have that job? You have to ask for money for people when they're at their worst. And as Kathy and Robert were sitting there in the ER, this guy comes into the room and sheepishly starts to talk to them. And Kathy looks up with a splitting headache and says, I think that you are hurting worse than me. Can we pray for you? And they had a moment of divine direction in their life where they were in the midst of pain and heartache and chaos and not uncertainty and yet because they were being sensitive to the Lord and seeking for divine direction in his life they were sensitive to an individual that came into the room who was having not only physical issues but was having mental and soul issues. 
And I left from their house and they would want you to know that all glory belongs to Jesus and none to them. But I left from their house and I begin to think in my own heart, gee whiz, Steve Tillis, are you in, in, in decent health? Are you seeking for divine direction when you go to the grocery store, when you're at the restaurant, when you're at the gas station, when you're walking in your neighborhood, when you're at work with co Are you looking for the opportunity to speak with somebody? Could it be that God would put somebody in your path this Christmas who you could share truth with and tell about the love of Jesus Christ? Here's the application in point number one. Leave here today and pray every day for the next 24 days. Lord, help me to be sensitive to the people that are coming to my way that I come across where I can minister Jesus Christ into their life, where I can pray with them, where I can do something for them, where I can love them, and most of all, where I might be able to share Jesus Christ with them. Would you pray that way? Let me give you a second point today from verse number 12. The way that we prepare for the coming of the Lord, we pray for divine development in our love for people. Let me say that again. And y'all are going to have to stay with me this morning. I'm not sure how long this voice is going to last. Verse number 12, we pray for divine development in our love for people. Look back at verse number 12 and let me show you a couple of things. Notice the, uh, notice the double uh, increase here. It says, verse number 12, And may the Lord cause you, first of all, to increase and abound in love, and then notice here, for one another and for all people. You see, you see how the author there is making the jump? He says, I want you to increase and abound, and I want you to do this for each other and for everyone. You see, brothers and sisters, I would say to us that we need to be praying. If we want to be ready and prepare for the coming of the Lord, we pray for divine development in our love for other people. And that is that we grow in the depth of our love. Notice that it says here, to increase and abound. The word abound here is the same as where the Apostle Paul said, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. And so what God wants us to do is in our own lives with each other and with the rest of the world, He wants us to grow in love. And I know that the Christmas season and the celebration of the first Advent, I know that we speak about love and we sing about love and we talk about love, but I want you to understand that if you're going to grow in the depth of your love, it's going to really cost you something. It's easy to love the people that you're best friends with. It's hard to love your enemies. It's hard to pray for those that despitefully use you. It's hard to pray for those who have hurt you before in the past. But God wants us to increase and abound in our love for people. Won't you use this season to get ready and prepare for the first and the second coming of the Lord by loving people? And can I say something to you today? Love is an action. Love is a verb. It is not merely just saying that you love somebody. It's demonstrating and living it out and doing things for people. 
Let's see if I tell my wife that I love her, but I never live as if I do, then she soon recognizes that it's a hypocritical voice that is merely getting, giving platitudes. Jesus says this, and He's speaking from the Old Testament, where He says, with your lips you're close to Me, but your heart is far from Me. God is not satisfied with sacrifice. He wants obedience unto Him, which shows genuine love. Jesus said this, By this shall all men know that you are My disciples, that you love one another. And you see, that means that you love one another not just when they're lovable, but when you don't want to love them. You're to increase and abound and grow in your love for people. Not only do we grow in the depth of our love, but we grow in the breadth of our love. Look back at the text and see there, not only does it say that we increase and abound, but we grow in the breadth of our love. It says, one another and all people, just as we have done for you. You see, this is the kind of love that does not repay evil for evil, but seeks the good of one another. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 15. This is the love that takes every opportunity to do good, not just for our brothers and sisters, but all people. Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 10. God is wanting us to love the people that are close to us, and God is wanting us to love the people around the world. We're in the middle of our uh, Lottie uh, Amun Christmas offering. Brothers and sisters, part of the way that we love people around the world is we give faithfully to missions so that missionaries can take that money and be living around the world and sharing the gospel and bringing men and women and boys and girls to faith in Christ. The way that we give, the way that we serve, the way that we obey, this demonstrates our love not only to us for and no more, but to the whole world. I'm not going to tell you this, so you won't know it, but sometimes your pastor's heart is pained when we have dinner on the grounds or fellowship get-togethers or Christmas around the table, and I see the same people sit at the same tables with the same friends every year. I would never tell you that, but in my heart, that bothers me. I said, Pastor Steve, those are my friends. I yes. And you're with them all the time. The love of God and the love of Christ that should be in our hearts is the kind of love that walks into a room on a Christmas around the table evening or any evening or any time and says, you know what? I hang with my friends a lot. I don't have any idea who those people are. So I'm going to go sit with them and I'm going to awkwardly ask them about themselves until I pry out a conversation. But I don't want to do that. Grow in love. Increase and abound. That's not comfortable. Christ hasn't called you to be comfortable. Christ has called you to love people. Well, isn't there a time when I could just be around my course? Of course. Your pastor's not telling you not to do that. I'm just saying... There ought to be some times in our life where we're loving the people that are beyond who we're comfortable with. Can I say this to you? At your workplace, you ought to pray this week for God to point out somebody that you're uncomfortable with and you ought to do something loving for them. If you work in an office and they've got a garbage can under their cubicle, why don't you empty it? 
Why don't you send them an email? Why don't you invite them to church and take them out to lunch? Why don't you ask them about their family and their kids? Increase and abound in love. And do it not just with us, but with everybody. I read this past week and I had to read it twice. It kind of just took me by surprise. But a popular encyclopedia, it's been around for well over 200 years. In the 1880s, this encyclopedia had five words in the entry for atoms, A-T-O-M. And today, it has five pages on the work of atoms. And back in 1880 as well, it had five pages of entry on the word love. And today it's been omitted from the encyclopedia. You know what that tells me? That tells me that sometimes we're so caught up in the advancement of technology that we forget that we need human interaction. And the truth of the matter is, if all of you are sitting privately with me, you would say, the things that I need most is to be right with God and I need right relationships with the people in my life. You know where we go off the most? Our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. Part of the image of God in us is that we were created to be in relationship with God and with each other. I want to encourage you. You want to prepare for Christmas? You want to prepare for the second coming of Christ? You do so by praying for the Lord to give you divine development in the growth of your love. Let me give you one more point. And I know all of you are waiting for bated breath to see if I have another D word in here. I do. <laughs> we pray for divine devotion in our holiness to God. Look at verse number 13. This is how we prepare for the coming of the Lord. So that He may establish. The word establish here is used many times in the New Testament. It has the word with it to be strengthened. So I want you to think about that He may establish, like set you firm, that He may strengthen and guard you and protect you. I'll show you that in a minute. That He may establish or strengthen your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to know something? I, I, might, I might write on this later this week, but isn't this just a, this is sweet, because we're going to talk about holiness for just a minute. Isn't it sweet that the beginning of verse number 11 and the end of verse number 13 kind of bookend for you that it's not just some distant God, but it's God our Father. You see that twice repeated? It's God our Father in verse number 11 and it's God our Father in verse number 13. And so yes, we are to be blameless and holy and the Bible says be holy for I am holy and we are to seek after holiness in our life and we are to ask for God to strengthen us in our holiness but it's not just holiness for the sake of it. it is, we have a God and a Father who loves us and cares for us and verse number 13 says He's the one that is at work in us strengthening us unto holiness. 
holiness. And so we are to put effort in our life. We are to walk with him. We are to do right. We are to put off the old and put on the new. But all the while, our Father is helping us grow in holiness. Amen? He's good. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse number 2, we need to be strengthened and encouraged in the Christian faith by one another. 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse number 17, our hearts are comforted and strengthened in every good deed. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse number 3, the Lord is faithful and will strengthen and protect us from the evil one. Look at those adjectives together. He always uses the word strengthen or establish, but then he says in the first verse in 1 Thessalonians 3, 2, strengthen and encouraged. 2 Thessalonians 2, 17, we are comforted and strengthened. 2 Thessalonians 3, 3, strengthen and protect. Aren't you glad that the pursuit of holiness in our life is not some sort of mere or dutiful legalism? But it is for our own good that God wants to strengthen us so that He comforts us and He protects us and He cares for us because the more that we look like Him, the less we fall into sin in our lives. You see, the beauty of being holy in your life is not just keeping some checklist, but it's that your life begins to look like Jesus Christ. And the more that you look like Jesus, act like Jesus, talk like Jesus, think like Jesus, the less trouble you'll get into. It's not just for some sort of rote purpose to say, I've done this today. No, it's so that you learn to live the fully flourishing and wonderful life of Christ Jesus. Let me give you a couple of quotes I found this week. I thought this was good. Here's one from Hudson Taylor. He said, we are not only to renounce evil, but to manifest truth. We tell people the world is vain. Let our lives manifest that it is so. We tell them that our home is above and that all these things are transitory. Does our dwelling look like it? Oh, live consistent lives. Don't tell people that you're a Christian if you don't love Jesus and live for Him. Don't sing about how wonderful the coming of the Lord is at His first birth if you're not living a holy life in light of His second coming. That was for my scholars in here. I like D.L. Moody. He puts, it, puts the cookies on the bottom shelf. He said it this way. A holy life will make the deepest impression. Lighthouses blow no horns, they shine lights. I don't know how many times in our life all we do is toot our own horns. And Christ is not so much interested about everything that you say. He's interested about everything that you live. Somebody said one time, uh, the question to ask is, if I die today, will I go to heaven? I would say to you, that's wrong. The question you ought to ask is, if you live until tomorrow, who will you serve? Because if you wake up tomorrow and you serve Jesus, you'll never have to worry about where you'll go when you die. But I know a lot of people who think they've punched their ticket into heaven because they said a prayer and signed a card and got dunked and said some sort of sentimental words. But their life 
matches nothing from what they said they believe. Trust Jesus. Live for Jesus. Pastor, are you preaching some sort of perfectionism? Are you saying that I've got to be absolutely perfect all the time? Well, listen, do you think I'd be up here if I was? We all mess up. We all sin. And every time the pastor points a finger, there's four more pointing back at me, buddy. I mess up just like you do. The issue is not so much whether we mess up or we're perfect. The issue is what's going on with our hearts. Do we love Jesus? Do we confess sin daily? Are we seeking to follow and walk with Him? Have we been transformed on the inside, translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light? Do we love Jesus? That's the question. You want to be ready for Him? Well, I would say these are some good prayers that God would direct our way, that God would increase us in love, and that God would make us holy. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a moment? I just want to ask this week, if you're a believer in this room, would you pray that God would direct you to people? Would you pray that God would help you to grow in love? And would you pray that the Lord would help you to be devoted in holiness? This is the beginning of the year. Did you know that? This is the beginning of the year, not the end. Don't wait till January 1st to make a resolution. Right now where you are, say, dear Lord, in this season, I'm going to give you my heart and my soul and my mind. If you're in here today and you don't know Christ Jesus as your Savior, I want you to know that He died for you and He loves you. And if you'll put your faith and confidence in Him, He'll save you. You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.